Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Good morning, good morning. So we like to, I mean, said we do start our Advent season today. Today is the beginning of Advent, and I don't know how Christmas can sneak up on me yet again because, you know, if we were Costco before Labor Day, they already had Christmas trees out. I mean, how's that? That, that just doesn't, that's just not right. But somehow it just seems like it's almost here, and it seems like it's sneaking up. I find it really interesting that we actually, uh, and really meaningful, that the church for centuries has made this season a whole month-long emphasis. I I really think there's beautiful purpose in this month-long emphasis that I think is really important for our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we live our faith. Uh, But I have to admit, growing up as a kid, waiting for Christmas was like torture, wasn't it? I mean, it was just torturous anticipation. The New York Times actually did an article in uh, August 2012 called Why Waiting is Torture. And uh, the article referenced a study done years ago in a Houston airport uh, where passengers were constantly complaining about having to wait for their bags at baggage claim. And it was such a high frequency of complaints coming in that they decided to hire more baggage handlers, and they successfully decreased the time of wait time down to eight minutes, which was well within the best practices of the industry. Problem is, the complaints continued. So the airport officials decided, well, let's do some more time studies about passengers and all that kind of stuff. And in the process, they discovered that it took the average passenger just one minute to walk from their arrival gate to the baggage claim area where they waited seven more minutes for their bag. So they decided to try something. They decided to move the arrival gates as often as possible, as far out as possible, and they decided to route all the bags to the furthest away baggage carousel that they could find whenever possible, and the result was the average walk time from the gate became six times longer. So since the bags were there within less than one minute, usually after they arrived at the baggage claim, the complaints disappeared pretty much. Went off, you know, just went away. The actual time is still eight minutes, I mean, how does that work? I can relate to that. In my previous job, I used to travel about 90 to 100 days working with uh, churches on the West Coast, and one of the airports I hated to fly into was Burbank Airport. If anybody's ever been there, a lot of my friends really loved flying in the Burbank. They would choose it all the time. I would always choose LAX over Burbank any day of the week, even though it's a massive airport. Uh, If you've never been there, it's a really small airport. You actually fly into Burbank, you pull up to the gate, you step down onto the tarmac, you walk through the door, and the baggage claim is just on the other side of the wall from the nose of your plane, less than 50 feet away from your plane. And then you sit there for 30 minutes waiting for them to get the bags 100 feet away from the back of the plane to your baggage claim, and it drove me nuts. I hated that airport. There's an MIT operations researcher uh, named Larson who is considered the world's foremost expert on waiting in lines. How do you get that title? Uh, I mean, what do you have to do uh, to become a PhD in line waiting? I I don't know. Anyway, Larson explained that research actually shows that the average average person overestimates their wait time by 36% because time 
in which we are active doing something feels shorter than time when we have nothing to do. And it always feels longer when you have nothing to do. So I guess my actual Burbank weight was really 22 minutes by the time you subtract my perceived exaggeration of 36%, according to Larson's study. Funny thing is, while I was was doing the research on this, is that that's also why, and you maybe never knew this before, why elevators after World War II started to be built with mirrors around them because it gave people something to do. You push the button and then you go and go, and you, you check your hair and you, you adjust your clothes and, 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 and it helps, right? The drudgery of time waiting in line actually has another effect in our culture too. Did you realize there's over $5.5 billion a year, a year in impulse sales just because of the way people make you wait in line? You buy that pack of gum, that tabloid, and waiting. It's, it's, what do you do in that in-between time, Right? The reality is Advent is a time like that, which reminds us that really all of life has waiting in it all the time to a certain extent. It's a time that begins four Sundays before Christmas and ends on Christmas. The word Advent simply means coming. God, the one who is coming. And some of us tend to view the Advent season as as just a celebration of Jesus coming as a baby, looking back 2,000 years ago to that very first Christmas. And it, it is that. But in church history, Advent is also about the reality of our lives right now and this great anticipation that we live in looking forward to the second Christmas, the second coming of Jesus when he comes back again. Advent is a time in which we reflect on the fact that we too live in a time like the people lived in Jesus' day a time where we're waiting for God to come, Jesus to come and finish setting all things right. So it's a time of celebration, and it's also a time of anticipation as we live in this in-between time, waiting for Jesus to come. But, but waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. And so really the question we're wrestling with throughout this Advent season comes down to this in this series. What are we to occupy ourselves with during this waiting for Jesus' return? Because if we wait like we do in lines at airports and elsewhere, without focus, without purpose, we will tend to live our lives frustrated. I mean, it's so easy in our lives of waiting, waiting for the dream we believe God wants to bring to pass for us, waiting for healing, waiting for God to provide, waiting for whatever it is to lose focus on a sense of purpose during that time. And we find ourselves living life frustrated. Isn't it true that sometimes we just feel like we're waiting on God to make it right, to get things done, and we get quite frustrated, and and our prayers and our thoughts actually become a little bit more like customer complaint cards, right? I mean, God, when are are you going to resolve the sickness? God, when are my finances going to be where they need to be? God, when when are you going to help my relationship with my boss? When are you going to help me find the right job? And and our prayers become like that all too easily. The late Lewis Smedes, a, a famous professor from Fuller Theological Seminary, author of the best-selling Forgive and Forget book uh, a few years ago, writes this about waiting. He says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame that we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet 
that feels like a not ever. And here's where I think the power of what he says lands. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Isn't that so true? Some of you can relate to that now, can't you? Because you're facing discouraging situations that feel hopeless. You're facing situations that feel like your not yet is not ever going to happen. And Advent is a time that teaches us that what we're to be occupied in while we wait, the purpose we have in the now of that not yet time in which we live, where, where Jesus has already come. He's accomplished what he came to set out to do. He's, he sent his spirit to, to lead us and to empower us in the now of our living. But we, we do not yet have the fullness of what Jesus came to bring. Theologians actually talk about this as this concept of the now and the not yet they talk about. And I think Advent, this Christmas season, gives us the perfect illustration for thinking about this now and not yet and understanding its implications and how we perceive life and how we act in life. For some of you who are really ahead of the game, you're the kind of Christmas people who make the rest of us feel like failures. You already have everything decorated. Your house is completely ready to go. In fact, you probably already have at least one Christmas present under the tree for your children or grandchildren sitting there waiting for them. So if you're that person who's already put a present under the tree and you have young children around, you get to experience this idea of the now and the not yet of the Advent season every single day. The gift is right there in front of them, but they can't open it yet. I mean, there's a name on it. And you may even let your child pick it up in their excitement and shake it and and feel it and try to guess what it is and with all the anticipation and glee that comes with that, but, but it's not time to open it yet. And if your child is young enough, then, you, then you pr- they probably don't have a really good sense of time, right? So, so the, this afternoon they're going to say, is it Christmas yet? You're going to have to say, not yet. And tomorrow they're going to say, is today Christmas? And you're going to have to say, not yet, right? And Jesus has been given to us. Jesus has accomplished all he has sent us sent to do to perfectly offer us forgiveness and redemption and restoration and complete healing. But for some reason, in God's wisdom, it isn't Christmas yet. And there are some things that we don't get to fully open yet. See, over the coming four weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at the four gospel accounts and particularly how each one describes Jesus' birth or beginning and to learn more about how we can find meaning and purpose in this now and not yet waiting time. Matthew 1 is where we're going to start today, and, and, and Matthew talks about purpose in this way. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, that word pledged to be married, a lot of times we think, well, that's a lot like our modern day engagement, right? But it's actually uh, significantly different than that. To be pledged to be married meant that you were already in a legally binding contract at that point, negotiated between the families, likely years earlier. But while Mary and Joseph had not consummated their marriage or moved in together, they were essentially legally married already. And the text goes on, it says, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, we often spend more time, I think, in our Christmas stories thinking about this from Mary's perspective, but but I want to think about 
from Joseph's perspective, what was it like? I mean, for Joseph in this moment, this is, this is his heart unraveling and a heartbreaking moment. The text tells us Joseph was a good, a, a, a good man, and not just a good man, but a, a compassionate, loving man. He was faithful to the law. In some translations, they translate that righteous. And it's, it's actually this legal term, meaning Joseph had earned the reputation and the honor of being referred to by others as righteous because of his passion to honor God and follow God and be obedient to biblical law and commands and morality and religious days and calendars and, and have the right kind of worship and prayer practices in his life. He did what he was supposed to do. And now his wife pledged to him, has completely tarnished that reputation. And one of what in that day was one of the most publicly visible and publicly condemnable ways to sin. Joseph's heart was ripping inside of him at this unfaithfulness on her part to him. I mean, all of Joseph's plans and dreams and hopes are coming crashing down. His reputation is falling apart before his very eyes. People are gossiping. Either Mary was unfaithful, they're saying, and with another man, or, or Joseph had violated purity by sleeping with her before the proper time. And there were three ways in that day that this could have been dealt with. The biblical legal zealots would have demanded that she be stoned to death. But the more common way that people dealt with it in Joseph's day was to publicly shame her and for Joseph to divorce Mary. The only way, in fact, Joseph could save his reputation as a righteous man was to publicly condemn her and divorce her. But Joseph is such a good man that he refuses to publicly shame Mary. So Joseph decides instead to quietly divorce her. Let's read on. It says, but after he had considered this. So this word translated consider here is is a word that's laced with emotion, even anger. Uh, Reflecting the intense range of emotions Joseph has been going through the last few days as he's been pondering the feelings and the thoughts about what he should do in the face of this betrayal and gossip and and all the heartbreak going on. And the text continues. "But, But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Just think of Joseph in that moment. He's probably going, well, gee, God, thanks for letting me know now. You couldn't have told me this in advance, so I would have had, I would have avoided all these feelings of betrayal. You, you, you couldn't have just said sooner, by the way, Joseph, Mary's actually telling the truth. You couldn't have said that sooner be, before I had gone down the path of, of divorce and all the horrible messiness of those thoughts. No, no, Joseph, divorce is not the plan. The Holy Spirit is, is in this, and your son will be divine and will be named Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sins. And Here and what the angel says to Joseph, I think are some clues for us as far as how God asks us to live in the waiting time, in the now and the not yet time of life. I mean, the angel says first, and it sounds almost too obvious to say, but we need to look at it. The angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Joseph is a carpenter. 
He's likely of the personality who likes blueprints. He likes details. He likes to have all of his ducks in a row. He likes to have all the things, knowing all that he's going to do to build this thing and have everything in place before he starts building so he knows he can finish the project with excellence. But now, even after the Holy Spirit tells him this whole pregnancy thing is okay, Joseph still doesn't know a lot. And there's still a lot of pressure and unknown and fear as he's trying to work things out. I mean, Joseph and Mary have lost reputation and relationships, being shunned by the other righteous people because of their apparent sin, right? They're experiencing strained family relationships in a family tribal culture. Their sin reflects on their parents, on their grandparents, on their uncles and aunts and siblings, and that's straining the very core of their family fabric. All of this as they're starting their formal married life, which is normally a time of adjustment and stress going on. On top of that, I'm sure Joseph has a boatload of questions about feeling inadequate. I mean, think about this. How can I raise the Son of God? What will that look like? I mean, if I don't change his diaper and he gets diaper rash, is God going to be angry at me? I mean, really, seriously, right? Think about it. I mean, do I discipline the Son of God? Or how do you do that? How do you discipline God? You know? How will I as a commoner ever provide enough for the Son of God? And will God be constantly disappointed with me because I can't provide everything I need to provide for somebody that important? Kind of some unique parenting conundrums he's facing, isn't it? Social scientists in their study of stress many years ago devised a measuring system called LCUs or life change units. Wendy teaches this in her psychology class every semester. The idea is this, that researchers discovered that if you are living with more than 300 LCUs in your life, then your stress level is such that you are very likely to experience health problems very soon if you continue at that pace. So much over 300 for too long means that the likelihood of emotional breakdown for you is significantly higher. So, for example, marital separation is 65 LCU points on that scale. Adding a new family member, as cute as those little babies are, is 39 points. Significant change in your financial position is 38 points on that stress level. Difficult in-laws are 29 points. You'd think that would be like 129, right? But it's not. It's just 29, right? Traveling over Thanksgiving to family by itself is 12 points. Pregnancy is 40 points. Guys, that's the reason. Okay, so if you add up all the stresses in Joseph's life, he would be somewhere in the range of 400 to 450 LCU points at this time in his life, well over the breaking point. Life for him is out of control. His blueprint, his plans have been burned in ashes, and he's completely outside of his comfort zone. And some of you may feel like that right now. You understand that kind of pressure and discomfort right now in your life because you are living with stress contamination. So many things coming together all at once that this time of your life or just this time of year doesn't feel peaceful. It doesn't feel hopeful. It's just full of stress in your life and in your relationships. So much is happening over which you have no control whatsoever. And that isn't how you plan to be living this time of your life or this moment in your life right now. Life 
has high stress, high anxiety, even a sense of fear for you at times for what will happen. See, fear in our lives is actually an equation of a diminished sense of power plus increased vulnerability, and that equals fear for most of us in our lives. Some of you are facing sickness and injury, and you don't have the power to completely change it on your own, and it's leaving you in this place where the security of how you normally function, the security of your relationships is feeling really vulnerable right now. And our tendency is to respond to those times with anxiety and fear. And some of you are facing difficulty at work. It leaves you feeling powerless and, and hopeless, causing you to wonder if you really are as capable as you believe you are or if you are really secu- as secure in your job as you thought you were, and it leads to fear for you. Joseph is, like us, facing this deluge of fear happening that he can't control and leaves all of his relationships vulnerable in the present and the future, and, and it's leading him to fear. See, we have a a tendency to turn away uh, toward fear and anxiety when things take longer than we want them to be addressed or to change. When waiting in line with God feels like it's taking a really long time. But God's saying, don't fear. And he's not saying it in an impersonal, demanding, cliche kind of bucket up, buddy type of a way, God's coming to Joseph and God wants to come to you in a really personal way that says, don't be afraid because I'm here. I'm here with you. I've been faithful in the past and I'll be faithful to you in the now. I mean, look, the angel is saying to Joseph, things aren't unfolding according to your plan, but they are unfolding according to God's plan. They may not be fitting with your blueprint, Joseph, or with your blueprint, but God's saying, I'm revealing my blueprint right in front of you. And God's saying to Joseph, and he's saying to you, I know, I know what you don't see. And I know what you don't know, but I've got you. And I've got this. Come on, just let go of the fear. See, the angel says something else then to Joseph that, that helps us in the waiting now and the not yet. The angel says, here is how I want you to change your plans. Here is the next step that I have for you. Take Mary home as your wife. Uh, and the God's saying to Joseph, I, I, don't, I know that doesn't seem like the, the best righteous thing to do, but Joseph, I, I'm in this and this is the next step. Do something different than you had planned. Even, even though what you thought about planning, Joseph, seemed and was so good and so right and compassionate. See, I can picture God in this moment actually celebrating Joseph's heart in his compassion to treat Mary with grace and love and kindness, even in the face of what was apparent betrayal toward him. See, so often we face fear in the decisions of our lives, and and we're afraid we're not going to do things right. We're afraid we're going to let God down because we're not going to do things right whether it's a job change or it's a decision for how we navigate a difficult family relationship or a difficult conversation, or, or maybe it's we don't want to mess up as, as our kids as parents, so, so we take pressure and we take fear on as parents, or, or we plan for one thing in life, but life throws us a twist, a curve, and, and it's not what we planned on, and we don't know what to do with that. And here's what I want you to hear from this most of all. 
God recognizes your desire to want to make the right decision. God sees your desire to be the good parent you want to be. He recognizes that even though you don't know what to do, that you feel lost in what to do and how to respond in this moment because things aren't going the way you thought and the circumstances aren't comfortable, God is actually celebrating your heart of wanting to do right, wanting to be good, wanting to walk in God's will. And God wants you to know how to walk through your situations that you're facing right now in a really good way more than you want to know what to do. See, we see God going above and beyond with Joseph to give him the next step. Not all the steps, but to give him the next step. Yeah, again, Joseph probably feels like, why didn't the angel come earlier when when he came to Mary so I wouldn't have had to go through this? And he probably is thinking, God, your timing really stinks in this. But here's the deal. God's helping Joseph learn to face fear differently in this moment, to trust God more deeply and to grow in confidence in following God and that it's God's desi- that's God's desire for you as well. He wants you to know more than you want to know how to take the next step into the right place. He wants you to grow in confident, strong, overcoming faith more than you want to. And he's going to go there and be there and bring you through even those moments when your LCUs are 400 or above. God is wanting to lead you into change in a way that you learn to live in strength today. Not worry, not anxiety, and not fear. I shared this quote a couple weeks ago on Facebook by Corey Tenboom. For those of you who don't know who Corey is, uh, she was a Christian whose family sheltered Jews under the Nazi regime, rescuing many until one day the Gestapo showed up and arrested her entire family and shipped them all off to concentration camps. She obviously survived. She, I think, is one of the most inspiring Christian figures of the last century. And she writes this about worry. She says, worry and fear is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. See, God wants you to know how to change and grow and what the next step, best step is for you more than you want to know. And so the angel's words actually invite us to, to begin asking the question, God, is there, is there something that you want to change in my life? For, for us to regularly and prayerfully open ourselves to God changing our plans. We all tend to make our schedule. We evaluate our options and then we make plans. But as you approach the holiday season where you probably have complicated family plans and and you have your ideal plans for how things are to go and you probably maybe have a little bit of anxiety about getting things right or fear of of a difficult relationship that you're going to have to spend some time around or or, or just the regular anticipation and joy of that you want to make the most of this season. Allow yourself to listen to God leading you to change your plans, to do something different. I mean, God may put us in a place where we're not very comfortable or where we don't feel really qualified, where we don't feel like we have the right gifts. And and God says, don't fear. 
because I'm with you. I'm already preparing the way for you in this moment. And then third, the angel reminds us of another thing that I think is just a pure focus, and it just seems so obvious to us, but I think we need to talk about it. And that's this, putting your hope in Jesus in the now, today, and what's going on. I mean, think about it. Isn't it an amazing thought that Joseph's plan went a whole different direction than he ever thought it would? But but in that, Joseph got a front seat view to seeing the Savior of the world. Can you imagine the moments of joy that he had of teaching Jesus to be a carpenter, which is what Jesus did till he was 30 years old? Can you imagine the joy of him seeing this young child growing into a young man with all the leadership and ministry gifts and wisdom that he was growing in and how much of a blessing that was? And while the changes associated with the beginning of their marriage were really uncomfortable, Joseph was not disappointed by the changes at all in the end because he got a front row seat to seeing God at work. I mean, Joseph was getting out of his plan into God's plan. As verse 22 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, God's blueprint. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and then we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph got to see God coming into the now of our lives and being with us, seeing that which was promised in Scripture becoming real and tangible right in front of him. And we get to experience the same thing today when we follow Jesus. Let's just return for a second to the illustration we started with about the Christmas gift and the children anticipation of seeing that gift for weeks before they get to open it. It's, but it's, it's this now and this not yet. What, what we often forget in that illustration, and in life, is that as we wait for Jesus to return, for the not yet to be ended, for that second Christmas to arrive, is that just like the child whose father and mother are there, they're always there providing even in that waiting time. God is in the now with us right now as a good father providing for us every day. And you know how I know that? Not just from Scripture, but but I know that from just a parent's perspective. I mean, think about it. Even though the gifts aren't open until Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, for us as parents, the whole season is this extra special time where we're trying to bring blessing to our children and and create these moments with them and trying to create in the now times of special food and gifts and and just memory-making and beautiful times together as a family. And the kingdom now and not yet is like that as well. God is constantly breaking into our reality, bringing good gifts to us in the now, every day. Some of it is, is, is us learning to see that and acknowledge it with gratitude like we talked about last week. But, but some of following God for us in our now today is, is you and I becoming curious and, and learning to look for and seek and be active in seeing where God is showing up and asking God to do that through us, to be curious and responsive, choosing not to fear and choosing to be flexible in our plans to live with eyes and ears and hearts that are open to God interrupting our day and going in a different direction in a relationship uh, to change us, to change others, to change a situation. 
listening for the needs and the, the conversations that are going around around us where, where we can go, oh, I can bring God into that situation through prayer, through conversation, or through caring some, for somebody in a practical way. It is living in the now with a sense of hope for the now, not just for the not yet when Christmas comes. You see, it's not just about Christmas Day. It's about Advent, the purpose and the preparation for the coming of Jesus that we get to be a part of both now and when he comes back again for that second Christmas. It's about seeing God still today fulfilling what he's planned him revealing his blueprint for our lives, even though it's different than ours, that his blueprint is through you and me and every single one of us to bring salvation and redemption and healing and good to people around us and joy to people around us. God is up to that kind of work all the time. And he wants for you and I to join him in that, in the now, every day. You see, there is so much purpose to our waiting in life. God is a good father. And even though Christmas hasn't fully come yet, Jesus hasn't come back yet, he's like a a good father, a good parent, doing good stuff right now in our midst, even as we are waiting, moving towards that second return, that second Christmas. Worship team, come on up. And what I hope that you'll see as we, as we go through this series and we talk about this and as, and as we think about the past and what we get to look forward to, here's, here's what we celebrate this season and here's what we anticipate in every day of our lives. When Jesus came the first time, he came in weakness because he wanted to identify with our weakness and he wanted to solve the problem of our weakness. But when he comes again, he comes in strength the next time. The first time Jesus came to die, to take the penalty for us, when he comes again, the dead get to rise back to life. The first time Jesus came, he came and he was barely noticed. I mean, think about it. Only a handful of common people even had a clue as to what was going on that first Christmas. No one in Rome, no one in Jerusalem had any idea. All Just a handful of people in the entire world had any concept that the greatest gift ever given was now here. But when Jesus comes again, Jesus tells us that it will be like the heavens splitting and like lightning flashing across the entire sky that no one will be able to miss. And that in that moment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord because we will all know without question who he is. He is our creator. He's our God. And he is a good father who's with us even now in this moment. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, it is such a difficult thing to wait. Lord, the pain of the not yet sometimes is so much that it's that it clouds us from seeing how you want to be with us now. But Lord, I pray especially for the people here that are just facing such high stress, such such change, where plans aren't at all what they thought, what they were hoping for. I pray that you come. 
into this moment right now with us. Could we just be able to rest in the fact that you're good? Could we be able to rest in the fact that you're coming again? Could we be able to see you right now with us? Will you come, that you'd grow our faith, that you'd help us be confident and strong and at peace. So Holy Spirit, even as we continue to worship, would you come? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.